Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So let's get right into it. Good evening, friends. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, coming to you on a beautiful Tuesday evening. I hope this finds you doing quite well. We're going to do How to Make Money Farming Part 2. Uh, before we dive into the whole gist of part two, I want to recap just a little bit on part one. First and foremost, I posted up this picture of these soil tests on part one. It's in the comments down there. And so just a picture of what our soil tests look like. This is through Midwest Labs. Here's all your analytical work over here. Here's a dry broadcast program here saying this is all you're going to do is dry broadcast, but you have it. And so the things that we're looking at again, the micros, the secondaries, the CEC, the pH, some of the ratios and such. Now, page one, this page has your recommendations for a dry program. Page two is the recommendations using our system. This particular field called for six gallon of 215-19.3. It called for uh, 0.62 or 9.88 ounces of copper, 43.6 ounces of manganese, 26.4 ounces of zinc. Do you see we're being really precise? And that was all going to go in furrow. And then we had some additional micronutrients that we were going to have to put on in some other fashion, probably through a foliar feed or a side dress. And we were going to be looking at an additional 0.4 pints of copper, four pints of manganese. This, these guys are hurting really bad for manganese and another full pint of zinc. And so, you know, that's what we're looking at. That's the key. We've got to have that good test. That's how it all starts. If we don't get off on the right foot, we're up the crick. Now, I also want to backtrack to yesterday just a little bit because I talked about Amplify-D, which is our seed emergence aid, and WEX, which is our surfactant that also gives you an increase in root mass. And so this is a page put together. This is Beck's proven data. We have four products that are listed on here. I'll be talking about a couple of them later. But for tonight, I want to focus on two. Amplify-D on here has a proven, it's been proven at four different years in multiple locations. Average increase in bushel for them was 3.7 bushel. That's a pretty good return on a $2.50 investment. And the WEX product showing on soybeans got about 2.5 bushel. And the corn got 3.3 bushel. Another good return for a $5 investment. Plus, it makes your chemicals work better. So this prompted me to say this. Today, I took a phone call from someone. They'd had an individual in their driveway trying to convince them to switch seed treatments. They wanted to move from Amplify to Brand X. So here's what they said. Here was their sales pitch. All right, Amplify D was a really good product until our product came out. And our product is three bushel better than Amplify. Okay, the individual they were talking to said, could you show me that data on that side-by-side -side where you did that? To which they respond, well, that's just company data. We don't have anything that we can show you or publish. Guys, I can tell you anything, okay? And I did a lot of research myself, and I gladly share those numbers because I'm very diligent in when I do it. But the stuff that means the most to me is when someone completely independent comes out and says, hey, we expect you to get 3.7 bushel. And that's across all kinds of locations, up in central Iowa where it's really good, down in Effingham, Illinois, where it can be kind of dry, across all the different locations that they look at geographically and get that. And that brings me to this point. Why? It's always okay for you to ask why. My guys that are working with me, my guys and gals, they're saying, hey, why are we doing this? And I like that because I want them to know why 
they do this. I want them to understand what they're getting to. So that being said, two other things here that I want to get to. Number one, another product that we should look at, we have a plant growth regulator and we've had this plant growth regulator for 20 plus years. The product's called Excito, the active ingredient are cytokinins. And a lot of people have plant growth regulators and they try to put six or eight different PGRs all in one jug. Therefore, it's better because it's got all of these regulators in it, blah, 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 whatever. I just know what ours does. I know that number one, our product is labeled as a soybean cyst nematode suppressant. That's the number one reason to use it. If you have soybean cyst nematode, and I'm guessing that you do, then this is the product for you because it makes your beans more resistant or tolerant. Number two, we know that it's gonna increase root mass. We know it's gonna increase the size of the leaf. When we increase root mass, when we increase leaf size, we increase yield. That's the way that works. So that's another product that you could take a look at when you're planting. And lastly, while I'm still on planning, guys, I was kind of remiss yesterday because I didn't talk about populations. If you get into the Beck's PFR book, they have studied and said what we have been saying for a long time. The odds are you're planting your soybeans too thick. And guys, I, I get people, they go, well, you don't understand. We live here and it's different. I don't have to understand it. You don't have to believe me. Here's my challenge. Take the rod challenge. Next year, when you go to the field, you go out there and you make a round at 85,000 plants, and I don't care if you're drilling them, I don't care if you're planting them, I don't care if they're 15s, 20s, 30s, it doesn't make any difference to me. Try them at 85, try them at 100, try them at 110, 120, 130, and work your way all up, go up 10,000 more than whatever you're doing. Because here's what I know, most of the time, I'm gonna say plus 95% of the time, the number one yield is somewhere between 120 and 130. Somewhere in your soybean population between 120,000 and 130,000 will get your best yield, okay? If that's how you get your best yield, think about the profit. Once we cross over 145, 95% of the time, the yield starts to go down. Why do we wanna buy extra seed to cut our own yield? Guys, you don't have to take my word for it. There's not anything I'm selling you here. Just try it, it's easy to do. It's a simple little test you can run, and I encourage you to do that. So we wanna take a look at populations. Corn's the same way. I think we need to be studying what's working best in our area, what's working best on our farm. Because if we just take someone else's word for it, then we're giving them control of our operation. I gotta come back to the same thing. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we planting beans at 185,000? Why are we planting our corn at 22 or 42 or 62, whatever that is, we got to know why. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Now, that being said, today is part two. And today we're going to talk about N, P, K, and S, as well as B. So let's talk nitrogen first. You want to make money farming. That's what this is all about. And I know this runs counter to what some people think, but let me just say this. We have an industry that preaches the four R's. They wanna talk about the right source, the right time, the right rate, the right place. I got a buddy named Travis, he wants to include the right speed. And there's probably some real merit into that and we'll do that another day. But the right source, that's also saying, what is the right product? 
And this industry that preaches this, so all of the people who are environmentalists want to come and put their arms around them and sing kumbaya, oh, look, they're making a difference. It's the typical deal that we do where we're going to bring awareness. I don't want to bring awareness. I don't want to bring awareness to cancer. Everybody knows that it's out there. I don't want to bring awareness to a problem. I want to solve it. I want to fix it. I want to make it go away. And we can bring awareness to the four R's that we should be using the right product or source. We should be using it at the right time, at the right rate, in the right place. And then that same industry that does that comes to you and says, you should put on fall applied anhydrous. Do you know why that's the right product in the right time? Because it's right for them. It's right for the people who are selling it to you, but it ain't right for you at all. Guys, there is no questions asked that anhydrous is not your friend. I'm going to show you something here that I hope will make a lasting impression. I should have had this ready to go beforehand, and I'm sorry that I don't. But here we go. This is a United States $1 bill. It says, in God we trust, and it's a U.S. dollar. This, likewise, is a U.S. dollar bill. How do you take this dollar and turn it into this dollar? Well, there's a couple of ways. Number one, you can take this dollar... And when you send this dollar to Washington, D.C., if you're lucky, it'll come back looking like that, okay? Number two, you can take this dollar and put on a pair of vice grips on it. You can dip it into a coffee can when you're very slow rolling anhydrous into that coffee can, and you dip it in three times and you get this. How do I know that? Because that's how we made it. This right here, folks, is a fact. When someone tells you that anhydrous does not shrink dry matter, Please just walk away slowly. If you run, you could trip and they might catch you. So it's important that you just walk away so you don't stumble and you don't fall, but you keep walking. You got to have your eyes wide open, guys. And this is undeniable. This isn't something I made up. This isn't some fruitcake out here, you know, railing on anhydrous because of whatever reason. I don't have a dog in this fight, but what I do have in this fight is your soil health. It's the wrong product. It's at the wrong time. If we're going to grow crops, if we want to grow profitable corn, then we need to take a look and say, all right, we know, according to Dr. Mulvaney, he talked about the fact that nitrogen standards used to say 1.2 pounds of applied in for every bushel of corn. Our guys are all looking at 0.6 or 0.7, 0.6 to 0.7 pounds of in per bushel of corn. That means we're using half the nitrogen to get the response. We've got friends growing 285 bushel corn on 0.3 pounds of nitrogen. They're making money farming. That's how you make money farming. You do something different. You do something better. You figure out how to make things a little better for you. Is fall applied anhydrous a great deal for the guy selling it? Yeah, he's got unemployed people that he needs something to do for. The shop floor is clean, and they got a lot of money invested in, in equipment. But the fact of the matter is, guys... We got to take a look at what's right for you. So let's talk about what our nitrogen options are. And here's the deal. You know I don't believe in one size fits all agriculture. I think it's a tragedy when someone comes out and goes, this is how we do it in Timbuktu and you should do it just like us. The fact of the matter is nitrogen is one of those things that we have to figure out on a field by field basis. Why do I say that? Well, because if I'm farming flat quarter sections and they're square, then I'm probably going to put on some pre-emerge, like something with my weed and feed, or band on some with a planter, and then I'm going to come back, and hopefully I'm going to wide drop, okay? 
but if you farm where I farm and everything is a point row and the fields are small and you're turning all the time and you're smashing down a lot of corn, then that's not such a great plan. So some people, because they have a lot of contours and terraces or they've got different situations that don't allow to make multiple trips through the field, they're gonna have to put all of their nitrogen on or at least the lion's share up front and make no more than one trip. So what happens if I'm the person that for whatever reason, I don't have the manpower to get back and side dress once or twice, or I've got terraces and I can't run a wide drop or a side dressing rig out through there, then what do I do? Well, the best thing in the world we can do is we can stabilize that liquid 28 or that urea or that liquid 32 when we put it on. When we go out there with our stabilizer, we have a stabilizer. The active ingredient is disidiamide. As luck would have it, that is one of the ingredients used in COVID testing. I don't know how it works. I just know that it is. And I know because of that, disidiamide is getting ready to take a huge price jump. And if you would like to talk to me about stabilizing your nitrogen in a way that has been proven over and over and over again to work, then I would like to talk to you this week because our disidiamid nitrogen stabilizer is going to take a 15% price increase Friday night. And if you're interested in that, we'd like to be able to save you that 15% and do it right now. That being said, so what are we going to do with our nitrogen? Well, I'm not opposed to a weed and feed. I think that there's some real merit in put on 40, 50 units out there with our chemicals pre-emerge. It gets some in there. We start to pay that carbon penalty and we start to get that over with. And we are all going to pay a carbon penalty because there's the ratio nitrogen, excuse me, carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, 100 parts, 10 parts, one part. And we're never going to beat that. We're going to have to do it. So what are we looking at? What is the right product? Probably anything except NH3. I would probably gravitate away from a dry ammonium sulfate if I was fighting low pH. What is the right time? Well, the right time is going to be close to planting. We know that corn plant is going to need the lion's share of its nitrogen at or after tasseling. So to apply something in October that's going to have it that is negatively charged, which will run away in the groundwater, which will volatilize, which will go through denitrification and go back up into the atmosphere and apply that in October and hope we have enough there in late June, early July probably not the best plan. What is the right rate? Well, it's fairly well accepted that about 10 pounds per CEC points all we can put on at a single shot. Beyond that, the question becomes, how many times can we go back? And that's gonna dictate what we can do. What is the right place? Obviously nitrogen banded, we like, we like it a lot. Wide dropped, we like that a whole, whole, whole bunch more. So let's talk about phosphorus. We'll switch gears here. And let's talk about, now I'm going to go back through my four R's and actually most of the time it's the four W's because it's the four wrong things that we're doing for nutrient stewardship. Let's talk phosphate. First of all, I've had the pleasure this week already of looking at multiple soil tests of people who have P1 tests of over 40, some of them over 60, P2 tests of 80, 90, 100, 125 parts per million. And the person that pulled that test and brought it to them said, hey, what you need to do is apply more phosphorus. You need to apply 18460 or 11520. Guys, <laughs> when you're already high in phosphorus, that is not a good idea because it starts to work against you. It starts to tie up zinc in particular. It starts to create a lot of stress in your life and it starts to work against you. If you have high P levels and you're applying phosphorus, who's it good for? You or the guy selling it? It's not you. 
That just leaves choice B. So let's talk about the right source or the right product because invariably, here's what I see. I live in an area where we fight low pH. Our pHs will work their way down or be down just naturally and we have to use lime quality calcium to bring them up. And yet here, what they want to sell us for phosphorus if we're broadcasting is 11.52.0. 11.52.0 has a pH of about three, maybe four if you're really lucky. It's very acidic. What I should use is 18.46.0. Now, for whatever reason, when I get to talking to the guys up in the areas where they have high pH, had a guy the other day had pHs of 7.5, and the only thing they wanted to sell him was 18.46.0, which has a pH of eight. Why we want to double down and exacerbate a problem that we already have is beyond me. Does it make a big difference? No, I'm not gonna tell you that, that applying 18.46.0 on a high pH soil is gonna just devastate it and make it terrible, but I am gonna tell you it's sure not gonna make it any better. So I had one of my friends from out in Nebraska has low pH and he, they were trying to sell him 11.52.0 and he's like, no, I need 18.46.0. I don't wanna fight more low pH. I don't wanna do anything to make it more acidic. And they go, well, we'll get you some triple super. Like somehow that was better. And that's either a 040 or a 0460 triple superphosphate has a pH of one or less. Let's, I want to make sure we understand this. A pH of neutral of seven is neutral. A pH of six is 10 times more acidic than neutral. A pH of five is 100 times more acidic. So a pH of four is a thousand times more acidic. A pH of three is 10,000 times more acidic. Two is 100,000 times more acidic. I think you see where this is going. We don't wanna do anything to make it worse. The bottom line is, guys, we gotta get the right product at the right time and do it in the right place. Let's talk about the right time. Had a friend a year ago, he went in and he said, hey, you're, you're spreading dry fertilizer out here on ice, on ice-covered fields. Don't you think there's a chance that'll run away? Go, no, it'll be fine. That was the year that Nebraska, had that rain come in, take off all the snow, and it shucked everything down the creek. You tell me who that was a good idea for. Because the bottom line is, it wasn't good for the growers that had that on top of that frozen ice and didn't get a chance to use it. So we've got the whole idea of using phosphorus. We want to make sure that we're using the right one based on our pH if, in fact, we are going to broadcast. Guys, here's the thing to remember. When we broadcast, if we're putting on 100 pounds, of a dry granular material, the mathematics work out that it's one granule for every 10 and a half square inches. Almost a square foot, one granule. One granule. I think placement is key. The right place, I don't think that's it. I think the right place is at least banded next to the row, and if we're using the right product, which is a food grade orthophosphate product, and it's got a low salt index, the right place to put it is right in the seed trench. Hey, Drayton Rash, it's good to have you on the, on the video tonight. I love my buddies. I, Drayton and Bryce Hunt, you guys are my heroes. I love these young men who are getting started into agriculture. Uh, we have a great podcast. Uh, Bryce Hunt is the CEO of a business at age nine, I believe. You might want to give our podcast a listen and, and take, a, take a listen to what he has to say. It was pretty good. So we want to make sure that we're getting that there. So let's talk about the guys who are fighting really high pH because you're almost assured when you have high pH, you've probably got really good P2 levels and pretty average P1 levels. And so they want to come out and say, all right, you got a P2 of like 85. 
but your P1 is only 10, so we need to put a bunch, and they're probably going to try and sell you 1846, so they're going to get you to put a bunch of that on, trying to get that P1 to come up. Guys, here's the deal. When that soil warms up, that P2 will start to become available, but you got to get it from planting to warming up. How are we going to do that? That's where a good, high-quality orthophosphate product goes in the trench and does wonderful things. We know, based on our experience, that 95% of the time, if you have a P1 test above 25 or a P2 test above 50, we know that you need zinc. And we know that 95% of the time, you'll get a positive economic response to using zinc, no matter what your zinc levels are, no matter what. So when I start talking to Lucas, which I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to look at his, and he's got really high P1s and P2s and very high zinc levels. But we're going to have to put on some zinc anyway. Why? Because we know he's going to get a yield response. Guys, it is true. Polyphosphates break down, and once that soil temperature gets to 65 degrees, 4% of that chain breaks off, and, and you can start to get some use of that. When it gets to 125 degrees soil temperature, the good news is all of your phosphates available off of a polyphosphate. The bad news is 125 degrees is the middle of the Sahara Desert, and we don't very successfully grow corn there. Let's change gears and talk about K. And in my notes, I just wrote the word facepalm. <laughs> because oftentimes the discussions with potassium make me just facepalm. That's the only way to do it. If you haven't listened to our podcast, I want you to go listen to the dissertation of Dr. Mulvaney discussing potassium. Why? Because there's a lot of money in it for you. A lot. And I want you to go and, and take a look and say, here, what do we got going on? Because here's the deal. I have said for a long time, and I'm, my good friend Dusty from Minnesota gave me a cartoon. I'll post it in the comments here. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's cute. And uh, he knows my opinion of using potassium chloride, and I'm going to post it up. I give Dusty all the credit for that. But uh, it's true. That's the sad part is that it's true. If you are bent on going out and applying potassium, then I want to encourage you to take a look at potassium sulfate. It's a 005017. The salt index of potassium sulfate is one half of the salt index of potassium chloride. It is a much friendlier product. Plus, you have sulfur in the right form that you have to have to grow a crop. There's a lot of reasons to do it. So we have this 002517, it's potassium sulfate. We also have a starter fertilizer that's 215193, 19% K, 3% sulfur. So I wanna encourage you, we've got some other ways to meet that K need. And while we're talking about K, again, I want to encourage you, go listen to the podcast because it will, I think it will make you rethink everything you're working on with potassium. And I encourage you to do that because it's what's right for you. We want to make sure we got the right product going on in the right way, coming from the right source, putting on at the right time. And we want to make sure that we're putting it in a way that we force feed it into the plant. Is K important? Absolutely. It's hugely important. I mean, there was a study done. Work was done at Purdue. It was published at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln uh, School. I don't know why that was, but that's how it went down. And here's what they said, in essence, that to grow 175 bushel of corn, we know the removal rate of K. One quarter of a pound for every bushel we take out the gate. No matter what our yield, one quarter of a pound for every bushel that leaves the field. However, the uptake to grow 175 bushel corn was on the upside, about, I think it was about 257 pounds of K went into that stock. 
Now, again, 25% of 175, so what is it, about 42 and a half pounds or something, that went out the gate. The rest of it got left behind in the stover. But here's the kicker. To go from 175 bushel to 250 bushel, the K uptake went from 250 pounds to almost 450 pounds. It nearly doubled just to add 75% to the yield, or excuse me, to add 50% to the yield. Double the K to get half the extra yield. Guys, K is really, really important, and these new hybrids need it. They're screaming for it. They want it. K does not become available in the soil till about 65 degrees, and depending on what you've done to your soil, it may be very hard to extract. K is extracted by the roots going down, going in between the soil colloid, in, in between the clay plates. The roots exude an acid. The acid releases the potassium. It's sucked back up into the plant. You want to build your K levels, the best way to do it is realize, hey, I have one half million pounds of K in the top six feet of my soil, because most of us do. A half a million pounds. The question is, how do I get a hold of it? That's why we want to drive roots. Everything that we're working on, every product I talk to you about, the number one thing is that we're doing everything in our power to make those roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. Because when we can drive those down and get them throughout the soil profile, they will pull up a lot of K, pull it into the residue, and leave it behind in the stover to be recycled. I'm all for soil health. You guys have heard me kind of make fun of that. It's not that I'm making fun of soil health. It's that I'm making fun of the way they want you to go about it. And the best way to get your soil health is to stop doing the things that hurt it. So we're going to drive the roots. We're not going to do anything to compact the soil. We're not going to do anything to make the soil collapse. We're not going to do anything to kill the fungal web that's in there or kill the beneficial bacteria. Also, in regards to potassium, you're also going to hear me talk about this tomorrow when I talk about magnesium. But we know that it is a very important ratio between K and mag. And if you're interested in how that can impact you, feel free to give me a call or send me a text. I'm not going to go into that tonight, but we know that sometimes... It's out of whack because we have too much K. Sometimes it's out of whack because we have too much magnesium. And so we gotta make sure that potassium-magnesium ratio is right where it's supposed to be. And if it isn't, it's an easy fix either way. We just gotta know how to do it. And it can be done very, very, very cost-effectively. Moving off of K, let's talk a little bit about sulfur. I looked at Lucas's test. His sulfur levels range anywhere from one to seven parts per million. What should they be? At least 25. I'd be happier if they were 50. And so would he, because it would help him. Guys, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that a lot of times, people who have a sulfur deficiency, someone selling them extra nitrogen, because they can, sometimes they try to mask that, but you can't, because again, that ratio, 100 parts carbon, 10 parts nitrogen, one part sulfur. And if we don't have that, Whatever we're short on, the soil's gonna grab a hold of and just hang on to it like none other. So if we're low in sulfur and we put a little bit on, the soil just grabs it, you still don't get it into the plant. I hear guys say, I put sulfur on and I didn't get any response. Well, the, the reason most likely is you didn't put on enough and you never got past the ratio so the soil wouldn't let anything go. And so the, the question becomes, what am I gonna put on? Well, first of all, remember this, a corn plant a bean plant, they will only take sulfur up in the sulfate form. If you spread yellow elemental sulfur out there, it's a good deal for somebody, but it's probably for the guy that's selling it to you. 
because I've seen fields where they'd spread elemental sulfur three years previous and the yellow, old yellow stuff is still laying there. It's very slow to break down. And the fact of the matter is, even when it does break down, getting in, the odds of getting it into the sulfate form and then getting it into the plant are not great. And guys, we didn't used to have to buy sulfur or boron because it came free in acid rain, but we are cleaning up the environment. We no longer get that free acid rain and we gotta buy sulfur and we gotta buy boron. What's the right ratio? I don't know. Because we've got guys that are putting it on at 10 to 1, 10 gallon of 28 or 32 and one gallon of ATS, ammonium thiosulfate, 120026. We got guys doing eight and two. We've got some guys doing seven and three because they know they have to get to seven gallon of 28 and three gallon of ATS or 120026 to get the sulfur that they need. It makes your nitrogen work better. It is a mild stabilizer in and of itself. There's a lot of reasons to use it, but guys, I, I really goes back to that soil test that I was showing you, and we wanna make sure that when we're looking at these soil tests, that we're checking that sulfur number. This particular test right here had 11 parts per million showing low, okay? And the fact of the matter is, that's gonna be a limiting factor and keep that crop from doing what it's supposed to. I also wanna talk briefly about boron. I'm just gonna put it in here, even though it's a micronutrient. Uh, we're gonna do micros tomorrow. I wanna talk a little bit about boron and get it out of the way and moved off the table. So, there are different types. We have a liquid, there are other things out there and I'm not gonna go into all of those, but I can tell you this, I have individuals on our team, people who work with us, who have tested other products side by side. And I know that where we use our product, we come back with plants that are sufficient in boron. I know where people have done other things, it comes back as deficient in boron. And you say, well, so what, what's the big deal? Well, the fact of the matter is, boron is responsible for bloom, it's responsible for silk, it's responsible for pollen. How many of those do you want to be short on? How many times do we see that ear that didn't have enough silk so it didn't completely fill out the way it was supposed to? You know, I have a background in the seed industry and I have watched corn plants when we got the nick, didn't hit the nick on pollination. I've seen white silk 16 inches long because mother nature goes to great lengths to reproduce. But if you don't have any pollen because the pollen already shed out and it's just gone, you never get pollination. If you don't have enough pollen and you have plenty of silks, you still don't get pollination. If you have plenty of pollen but don't have enough silk, you do not get what you need. You have to make sure that you're getting the right thing, putting it on there, and boron is important. If you're under one, I'm nervous. If you're under 0.8 parts per million, it's bad for you and you're going to have yield decrease. And I look at tests that are 0.1, 0.2. We have guys who literally have rode this thing down, let their levels get so low that they need a gallon of our product per acre. And the fact of the matter is, guys, if that's your limiting factor, it is hurting you. Guys, I love what I do. I literally could do this for hours. In the interest of time, I'm not going to do that. But know this, if you find value in what we're doing here, please share it with a neighbor. We would really appreciate that if you'd share it with a neighbor or a friend, tag someone in it that you'd like to see, take a look at what we're doing. I wanna encourage you to look at the podcast for a better way to farm. There's everything on there from the interview with Bryce to these episodes here will also be turned into a podcast, I'm fairly certain. And so there's all kinds of information out there, guys, and I just want you to know that it's there, it's available for the taking, we encourage you to do that. Folks, if you found what I had to say tonight intriguing, we spend two days on this at our Fundamentals of Agronomy class. We wanna teach you 
how to make great decisions based off of a good soil test. And if you're interested in that, I'd love for you to send me a message, give me a call, send me a text, 641-919-1206. If you'd just like to visit further about some of these things that we talked about, give us a call, send us a message. We'll get back to you, I promise. Guys, I look forward to talking to you tomorrow, and we're going to take a look at some spraying and maybe some uh, spraying and what else are we going to talk about? Micronutrients. It's going to be great. I hope that you tune in, and I hope you're really having a better night. Thank you for joining us this week on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. If you found value in this episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply sharing with a friend. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe and tune in next time for serious secrets about profitable farming.